Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Amadou Vasco Kone. This is the NCLEX success tutorial. Today, we will take a look at OBGYN, one of the branches of nursing that uh, we face with in the NCLEX. We'll look at specifically contraception. Contraception refers to those strategies or devices used to lower the risk of fertilization or implantation in an, in an attempt to prevent pregnancy. That's the shortest and the best definition when it comes to contraception. And uh, in many times in our lifespan, we look at these things to make sure that they are correctly carried out to prevent pregnancy. So today we'll look at the various types of contraception. We'll look at some of the most important things about them, uh, those uh, do's and don'ts that are frequently coming in the endless. That's what we're going to look at today. In, in OBGYN, contraception, it has various types. We have the natural matter. We have the barrier matter, we have the hormonal matter, we have the surgical matter, we have different methods when it comes to contraception. So I will begin with uh, just an overview of the viral method of the first method, which is the first and is the GPS, which, which is the natural method. Normally in contraception, when you do not uh, have sex, you do not expect to get pregnant. So the first thing about it is having sex. If you abstain from sex, you do not have to worry about getting pregnant. So the first method of contraception is abstinence, which is staying away from sexual intercourse. If you do that, you definitely avoiding have uh, avoiding pregnancy, and that's the first method. And this method is abstinence. Now, after abstinence, we have what we call the coitus interruptus. Now, this simplest means withdrawal. So, coitus interruptus is withdrawal during sexual intercourse. It is done by the male in many cases. It is wherein the male is having sex. At the point of ejaculation, the male pulls out. So, the male partner pulls out the vagina, and then he ejaculates outside, outside the vagina. So in that situation, is what we call the coitus interruptus. He is interrupting sexual intercourse to make sure not to ejaculate within the vagina because semen that is deposited within the vagina contains sperm cells and these sperm cells are what gonna cause fertilization subsequently bringing about pregnancy. So when you when, when you observe coitus interruptus, you are also carrying on contraceptive method which is withdrawing, withdrawing the penis from the vagina during sexual intercourse. This has a good and bad side. The good side is it is not, you don't have to buy it, it's cheap, it's free. And the bad side, it does not protect against STR, which is sexually transmitted disease. It does not protect against other infection, other sexually transmitted infection, as well as it does not, um, it has it, it has one risk. The risk is we have what we call the pre-ejaculation. The pre-ejaculation semen or fluid is a thin, very mucus like fluid that comes out of the pendant before ejaculation. Now, those are, uh, there are cells, there are sperm cells that might be in in the pre-ejaculation fluid. That's, or those sperm cells are capable of causing pregnancy. So sometimes if you are having sex, when it is time to have ejaculation, you might pull up, but before you pull out, at the time you are how we call the pre-ejaculation, already has been deposited within the vagina and that can cause pregnancy. So that's the bad side about it. Now, then we have um, the calendar matter. The calendar matter is one of the natural matters in which we observe our we observe our menstrual or our uterine cycle or our menstrual cycle. Now, within the calendar matter, it is wherein if we have an average day of twenty-eight days on an average cycle of twenty-eight days in a month, meaning twenty-eight is our cycle. The middle of that 28 day, which is, which is the, the 14th day of the 28th day, it is the unsafe period. And that 14th day is regarded as the date of ovulation. 
and during the period of ovulation, it is a period in which the the ovaries are released into the vagina, and when there's a sexual intercourse occurring in there, the sperm cells are capable at that point in time of causing pregnancy. So when you have sex on your ovulation, you are you are having the highest the highest risk of getting pregnant because you are ovulating. Now, so if we always observe that period and abstain from sex, we are preventing pregnancy. That becomes what we call the calendar method, and that is one of the natural methods. Under this calendar method, we have extra four to five days that we use to 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 refer to as our safe period. How do we come up with the four to five days? Now, the egg cells live for 24 hours. The egg cells are the ova. The ova are produced by the female. Uh, they are the female's gametes. Now, then the sperm cells are the male gametes. Now, the male sperm, the, the, the sperm cells are what produced by the male. So the sperm cells will look for the female's uh, ova or the female egg within the vaginal area and cause fertilization which will subsequently bring about a zygote zygote will form into fetus and then you have baby now but if we watch this kind of matter we evolve sexual intercourse during the period of ovulation we are definitely preventing pregnancy that becomes uh contraceptives or contraception now the food of five day comes in the sperm cell live for up to 48 to 72 hours so let's say you have sex on two days before your ovulation. The sperm cell live up to three days. So the first two days you are not ovulating, you have sex, that was cool. But the last day of the sperm cell vibrated within the vagina where it was deposited, there might be pregnancy because the sperm cell will live up to the third day. If the third day falls on your ovulation period, it can cause pregnancy. So I will explain this better within our video on OBGYN if you watched our video. Now, then uh, we have the basal body temperature. The basal body temperature is wherein on the period of our ovulation, we, when, when you are a female, you check your temperature every day, it's going to be slightly, um, it's going to be, it's going to be high at a particular level. Now, on the date of ovulation, the temperature drops below at least 0 0.5 than the normal. So, if your normal body temperature has been 98.5, on the day of ovulation, it's going to be 98.0. So, there is always a 0 0.5 deduction or drop or decrease in the body temperature on the date of ovulation. So, let's remember, that's an English question. So, that becomes our basal body temperature. So, on the date of Ovulation, we experience basal body temperature, which is a decrease, which is a decrement of 0 0.5, 0 0.5 of our normal regular body temperature. Now, so on that particular day, we are not supposed to have sexual intercourse. So we always check our pressure when we wake up in the morning. The date in which we experience a 0.5 drop in our normal body temperature, that becomes the, the basal body temperature. And on that day, it is the date of ovulation, and we are not supposed to have sex on that day. If we do, we're going to get pregnant. That is how we calculate the basal body temperature. Then uh, we have the symptoms-based met matter. The symptoms-based matter, it is what we call the cervical mucus. Now, um normally we will experience ovulation on the 14th day on the 14th day of a regular 28 days cycle now on that 14th day um we'll have um increment in the production of the progesterone and the estrogen now progesterone and estrogen are two hormones that will be increasingly produced on the day of ovulation now these two hormones are responsible to create the thinness, the thinness of the mucus that is in the vaginal canal. So the vaginal fluid normally on ordinarily is thick, is very thick. It is because of that thickness, even if there was an egg cells within the vaginal canal on other days without ovulation, we cannot still pregnant a female because the vaginal fluid will be so thick to the point that the, the sperm cells cannot swim to reach an egg to impregnate. Now, but the date of ovulation, 
the mucus within the vagina becomes very thin and slippery. That thinness, when there's a sperm cell within the vagina during that particular period, it is possible that the sperm cell can swim and meet an egg cells and create fertilization. So there's a thinness of the vagina mucus on the date of ovulation. So normally when we put our hands into the vagina, we remove our hands and look at our finger and stretch our finger apart. We will not experience mucus leg secretion between our fingers. But on the date of ovulation, when we insert our finger into the vagina and remove our finger, we stretch our finger apart, we we'll see the stretchy part of that particular mucus in the vagina between our fingers. It's going to form like a web. You'll see, you'll see it sticking between your finger and when you remove your finger from the part, you'll see it stretching between the two fingers. And that means at the point of ovulation, that day, the mucus that is in the vagina becomes the thinniest. And because it is thin, we have to avoid sex on that particular day. If we do have sex, we have the highest chance of getting pregnant on the day of ovulation. That becomes what we call the, the symptom-based method. So these are just various types of symptom-based methods that we use to avoid pregnancy. We use them mainly because they are natural methods. When we observe that we are having ovulation on those days or on that particular day of ovulation, we avoid sexual intercourse, thus by avoiding pregnancy, which is just a method of contraception. So those were the natural methods. Then we look at the barrier methods. The barrier methods are those methods that we use when we are having sexual intercourse that place a barrier, that places a demarcation between the penis and the vagina itself. So that includes the condom method, and we have both male and female condom. It also includes the diaphragm, the spermicide method. It includes the cervical cap. It includes the contraceptive sponge. These are just the major types of barrier methods we use to carry out contraception. Now, if we look at the milk condom, it is regular, just what you see, you buy from the store, you use it, it forms a barrier in sexual, during sexual intercourse. It stops us from depositing our semen into the vaginal canal. So when you do not deposit semen in there, you, are, you do not stand, you do not stand a chance to pregnant another, your partner. Now, there is always a 1% chance of, with the, with the use of condom. So the condom is safe 98.9 or 99.9%. Now, then the female condom is the same, almost like the male condom, just that uh, the female condom covers uh, the labia of the vagina while the male condom goes on the penis shaft. Now, let's look at uh, the diaphragm and the spermicide. The diaphragm and the spermicide uh, barrier metal, it is a dome-shaped cup that has a flexible rim made of silicon that fits over the cervix. And that silicon that fits over the cervix contains a particular cream. This cream contains a chemical that destroys the sperm cell. So it's a spermicidal cream. That cream is spermicidal because it kills sperm cells that, 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 that are deposited within the vagina during sexual intercourse. And because of this cream, that's why we do not get pregnant when we use the diaphragm method during sexual intercourse to prevent uh, pregnancy. Now, this diaphragm method, um, it should be replaced every two years. That's one for the ankles. It is replaced every two years. Um, if you have a weight gain of more than 20% of a regular body weight, you got to replace it. Another thing is, if you ever did a pelvic surgery or abdominal surgery, you have to change the diaphragm matter. Also, when you, were, when you got pregnant and you gave birth to a child, the next time you want to use it, you have to go and get new Measurement because every time there's a changes, there's a change or changes occurring in your body size, you have to change the diaphragm because it's not going to fit anymore. It's going to be smaller or it's going to shrink. And then if you wear it, it's not fitted adequately, it's going to still cause risks of pregnancy. So you do not want that. 
Um, this diaphragm meter, what is important about the diaphragm meter is the diaphragm meter, we can put it on up to six hours before sexual intercourse. We can wear it six hours before sexual intercourse. Um, it can stay in for up to six hours after sexual intercourse, but not more than 24 hours. So meaning we can put it in before six hours, uh, seven hours, eight hours, before up to six hours. Well, meaning we can put it in, I mean, like we can put it in, like, I'm sorry, we can put it in below six hours, meaning we can put it in one hour to sex, two hours to sexual intercourse, three, four, five, up to six hours. But after six hours, we do not let it remain in after up to six hours before sexual intercourse. So after sexual intercourse, it can stay in up to six hours or even up to 24 hours, but not past 24 hours. Once it reaches 24 hours after it is placed in after sexual intercourse, we're supposed to remove it. If we don't remove it, it's gonna cause it's gonna be ineffective. Now, this diaphragm method, um, the client needs to enter the bladder before inserting the diaphragm. You need to enter the bladder before you can insert the diaphragm to prevent pregnancy during sexual intercourse. After inserting it, we can wash the diaphragm method when we remove it after sexual intercourse. It should be washed with mild soap. And warm water after every sexual intercourse. We should remove it, clean it by washing it, and then we can place it back. Um, it has different advantages and different disadvantages. And uh, um, it can cause toxic shock syndrome. When you use it a lot of time, it has a complication. It could. Um, it is. I'm, I'm sorry. It is. It is not recommended when the patient has toxic shock syndrome. Let me be clear on that. It is not to be used when a patient has toxic shock syndrome. It also um, it also increases the risk of a patient to acquire toxic shock syndrome. So it, it increases the risk of toxic shock syndrome. It cannot be used when a patient is already having symptoms or signs of toxic shock syndrome. What are those signs? In English, we should be concerned about those signs when we talk about it. One, high fever. High fever is a sign of toxic shock uh, 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 syndrome. Um, there will be urinary frequency. There could be urinary tract infection. Um, those things can. Those things are all or all symptoms of toxic shock syndrome. Patient can have watery diarrhea. They could have headache. They could have muscle ache or like they could have myalgia. These are all signs and symptoms of toxic shock syndrome. When the patient has these symptoms, they cannot use this particular diaphragm method. Um, then we have the cervical cap. The cervical cap is another barrier method. It is the second, uh, uh, it is uh, one of the barrier method. I think it is the third, the fourth barrier method because the first is the male condom. Second is the female condom. The third is the diaphragm, and the fourth becomes the cervical cap and spermicide. Now, the cervical cap also contains a cream. This cream is spermicidal. It contains chemicals that kills sperm cells. Now, this cap is made out of silicone rubber that also fits around the cervix, and it comes in three sizes. It comes in three sizes for the cervical cap. So um, it can be inserted up to six hours, like the diaphragm matter, before intercourse, and it can stay in more than the diaphragm. Because the diaphragm stays in for up to 24 hours maximum. But the cervical cap can stay in up to 48 hours maximum. So that's an endless point. Every time there's a comparison between two things, with meanings, with hours, with timing, with placing, we have to read, we have to notify, we have to read that, read that down because it is a possible endless question. In the diaphragm matter, it stays in for up to 24 hours. In the cervical cap matter, it stays in for up to 48 hours. Now, it has to be replaced every two years, like just like the diaphragm matter. It needs to be replaced whenever there's an abdominal surgery, just like the diaphragm matter. It needs to be replaced whenever we have pelvic procedure, pelvic surgery or gynecological surgery, just like the diaphragm matter. It needs to be replaced every time when we gain weight, 
more than 20% of our regular body size or body weight, we have to change it just like we change um, the diaphragm method when we gain 20% body weight. Now, we can also wash it with mild soap and water after every use, just like we wash the diaphragm method uh, after each sexual intercourse. Um, the patient can also stand the risk of acquiring toxic shock syndrome, just like the diaphragm method. For these conditions, the female can also have a risk of cervical cancer. So they want to do a pap smear test for those individuals who are having symptoms of toxic shock syndrome when they are using this, but this uh, when they are using the cervical cap method. Then the last of these barrier methods is the contraceptive sponge. For the contraceptive sponge, is smaller, it's round, it contains a chemical called polyurethane. Polyurethane is P-O-L-Y-U-R-E-T-H-A-N-E. Polyurethane. Uh, polyurethane. Now, the polyurethane sponge contains spermicide. This spermicide um, kills the sperm cell that will be deposited within the vagina that could not be stopped by the barrier. So the spermicide cream in there, which is called polyurethane, it, it, it is what that kills the, uh, the sperm cells that are going to remain in there. Um, this is designed for the cervix. It comes in uh, one size, but it fits all. Um, it should be left in place for up to six hours after sexual intercourse, and it provides protection up to 24 hours. So you do not have to change it with every sexual intercourse. So you can have sex multiple of time with the, with the contraceptive sponge. You do not have to change it every time you have sex like the other ones. For the diaphragm, the cervical cap, it needs to be changed with every sexual intercourse. For this, uh, for the cervical, for the contraceptive sponge, this has polyurethane. It can be used multiple at times within 24 hours because it provides 24 hours of protection for the female. Any question? Any question? Now let's look at the whole. So all those things we use for our hair, all those our hair products contain estrogen. They contain progestin. They contain other hormones. This hormone can grow hair. Which in the case of in the case of when you're on this hormone for for some period of time, um, so the next the next one is the progesterone. Any question on the or, the combined oral contraceptives? Okay, fine. Now for the progesterone, the progesterone is called called the only progesterone only pills or the mini pills. So we have both progesterone and estrogen that is called the combined oral contraceptive, and we have just one pill. The progesterone coming also as another type of contraceptives. Now, this is kind of a mole. It's just a one pill, and uh, it is very. It is. It has the same action like the combined pill, but it is less stronger. It has a less lesser efficacy compared to the combined therapy because the combined therapy contains two hormones that jointly come in to prevent pregnancy. The mini pills is just one hormone. Which is called a progesterone that's producing uh, contraception in, in terms of pregnancy. Now, this pill is taken once every day. That is the, the mini pills which contain progesterone. It's taken once every day. Um, you cannot miss those. For the combined tablet, you could miss one day. You still go back and repeat. But in the progesterone only, you do not miss a day. If you miss a day, it is a serious problem. If you miss a day, you must get on another breath control for at least one month before you can stop the two breath control. So, for example, if you're on a progesterone only and you miss Friday, so you should be having sex with condom while taking the progesterone only until it takes you one month. After one month, then you can drop the condom and continue the progesterone. But every time you miss a day for progesterone or the mini pill, you must bring in secondary method to prevent pregnancy because in this situation if you miss a dose the one tip is no longer effective um this progesterone only pills um it increases it has fewer advantages and fewer disadvantages 
Um, it is very safe while you are breastfeeding. It does not interfere with breastfeeding. It has fewer side effects compared to the combined therapy. The bad side about it is that it increases the risk of ovarian cysts. It increases the risk of cervical cancer. It increases the risk of, of STI. It increases the risk of toxic shock syndrome. All these things come in when you're taking only the single pills. Then we have, um, the next one is the emergency oral contraceptive. This is my, this is my main main. I love this so much. In the emergency oral contraceptive, it is called emergency oral contraceptive. Or better still, you can call it morning after pill. Morning, in the morning. It's called morning after pill. Meaning, when you have sex overnight, in the morning, you go in and take one, you're good. This is sold in any pharmacy, in all the pharmacy, in the Walgreens, this, the Right Aids, the C CVS, in uh, in the Walmart, in the Safeway pharmacy, in the uh, all the pharmacy. It is there on the counter. It is an OTC medication. It is an over-the-counter medication that does not need a doctor prescription. So, because it does not need a doctor prescription, meaning. Anyone can go in and walk in the pharmacy and purchase it and take it. And it is very effective for up to 72 hours after sexual intercourse. Let's say you travel to somewhere, another state, Pennsylvania, you went to Pennsylvania, something happened, you had sex there. You did not come by the scene that you came by the second day. Once it has not reached 72 hours, the pills is still effective. When you take the pill within 72 hours, you're going to cleanse away everything that was deposited within there to create pregnancy. That's how good it is, and I love it. Then we have the transdermal patch. The transdermal contraceptive patch, it is one of those uh, medications that, that provides contraception um, that we use. Now, the good thing about the transdermal contraceptive patches they contain progesterone and they also contain estradiol. Et, they contain ethanol extradiol. Extradiol and progesterone are the two hormones that, that, that are found within the transdermal patches as contraceptives. These two hormones, they produce a huge and a continual level of contraception through our skin into the subcutaneous layer. So you pick up the patch, it has, it has a sticker on it, it's, it's adhesive, you remove the, the, the back sticker and you place it on your body parts. Those body parts you place the trondemal patches on include um, the buttocks, the abdomen, the upper arm, the torso, beside the breast area. These are areas you place this trondemal patch. The patch is placed in this area and we do not place it over a hair. It should be in a hairless position. The patches comes in, we put it in over this over dry skin. Um, like I said, in the, over the buttocks, the abdomen, the upper arm, the torso, the other part of the body, excluding the breast area. The part the patch needs to be replaced um every week. So we want we put it in on uh, we put it on our body on the uh, in the morning hour. The next let's say we did we did it on a Friday, which is today. So we place it on at this point, which is about eleven o two, which is eleven o two p.m. The patch was placed on our torso at eleven o two p.m. on a Friday. The next week, Friday, eleven o two p.m., we should be able to remove the old patch and place a new patch on our body part. So when we remove it from our torso. We don't want to put it back on the same location or on the same mark. We can rotate the location of the new patch. So remove the old patch next week Friday and put in a new patch. That's week one, week two. Then we go for the, to, the, to the next Friday, week three. Week three, remove the old one and put in a new patch. Different location. We go from week three when we hit week four. The fourth week of the patch we remove the old patch and we do not replace it with a new patch. We let the body go free without patch for one week. So within the last seven days, the body will still have enough progesterone and that of extra there in the blood 
that can still prevent pregnancy. That's what happened in the case of the trundemoth patch. So um, we put it on for three weeks, and the fourth week we do not apply. If we go through in the fourth week. We do not apply anything on the body. This can contains consistency in the blood hormonal level to prevent pregnancy. It can avoid liver metabolism because when you take, when you take just by PO, you have the half the 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 half the half past the half past. How you call it? They call it um the way I want to call it um the half past effect something like that. Now it does not pass through the liver. If you take it, if you use a trunomal patch, you are de you are you are detouring the liver interference. So we can do that also. Uh, this this particular patch it helps you to not to to not be embarrassed to take pills every morning because sometimes the pills. You might forget, but the patch goes for whole week. Then we have um, the patch has some bad side, which is which includes disadvantages. It does not protect against STR. That's one of the bad side for, for the patches. Um, so the patches um, we have to avoid area that contain ratchets or lesion. And if anyone weighs above one hundred ninety-eight pounds, it is not effective so the bigger the body size the lesser the effectiveness of this medication so if you are above 198 pounds it won't be effective if a people who are teen that can maintain a regular blood hormonal level to prevent pregnancy then we have the injectables the injectables are what we call the depot provera the injectable progestin, the injectable ones contain progestin. It is commonly called a depot injection. It is the depot provera. This is given IM. Now, for this medication, it contains medroxyprogesterone as the hormone that is in it that is given to prevent pregnancy. This medication can be given every 11 to 13 weeks of your lifespan to prevent pregnancy. So, if you took it, you take it every 11 weeks. You will take it or every 12 or every 13 week. The good thing about this pill, uh, about the injection is that uh, um, we take it the first five days um, of our menstrual cycle. So the first five days. So it starts on the first five days of our patient's menstrual cycle and we give it every three months from their own war. So if we get the first one in the first part of our patient's menstrual cycle, wait after 12 months, 13 months, or even 11, uh, sorry, 11 weeks. So we give it at 11 weeks after the first dose. We give it at 12 weeks after the first, or we give it at 13. We give it on one of those three periods, in one of those three periods after, after the first dose. Um, this injection, only given four times a year. Go give it every twelve weeks, which is which is gonna be every three months. Now it's given only four times in a year. Um, so it avoid you. It makes you avoid taking medication every day. Um, it decreases the risk of uterine cancer if it is used for long term. It has an av disadvantages. It has some, it has some disadvantages. Um, the average effect include like a it, it decreases bone mineral density. It, it, uh, there's a weight gain problem coming in and the patient can have depression and they can have irregular vaginal bleeding or vaginal spotting when you are on the injectable contraceptives that is the depo provera that contains medroxyprogesterone um this medication can cause metoragia it can cause metal metoragia it should be used as long term method of birth control more than two years if other than if other birth control methods are not adequate are not very very uh are not very effective we can use this for up to for after two years now then we have the implant the implant is the last or not the or it is the it is the last or not the hormonal methods the implant requires a minor surgical procedure subdermally wherein we place a low rod on the, 
the arm, in the inside part of the arm, this rod contains a particular hormone called the ethanogestrel. It's E-T-O-N-O-G-E-S-T-R-E-L. Ethanogestrel, it is the hormone that is used in the implant to place it in the inner portion of the of the arm to avoid pregnancy. Um, it just continues minor surgery. Um, it is effective, continuous, it provides effective, continuous contraception for three years. It can be inserted right after abortion, after miscarriage, after childbirth, or even when the mother is breastfeeding, we can still insert the implant. Um, it can be used by parents who breastfeeding after their fourth week of postpartum. So if you born a child up to one month, you can begin using the injector. You can go and you can put an implant on your arm after one month of, of, of delivery. It can cause other problems like spotting and other things can come about when you are using this part, this, uh, this, uh, when you are using the, uh, implant. Any question? So let's let's look at um, the IUD, the intrauterine device. It's called IUD, the intrauterine device. Of all of these methods of contraception, in my view, in the view of many individuals who are experts within family planning, it is the best among the rest. IUD, uh, it is a, it is a chemical. It comes in a chemical T. It is a chemical T-shaped device. It's in a T-shape that uh, is inserted through the cervix and is placed in the uterus by the provider. So it is a T-shape. It is inserted vaginally. It passes through the uterus and it is placed in. I'm sorry. It passes through the cervix and it is placed in the uterus. Um, it has chemicals within it that is released subsequently that will prevent the sperm from uh, fertilization. So it is most it, it, it is the most effective methods at preventing pregnancy uh, which we call them the long acting reversible contraceptive method. So we have the two uh, we have the implant IUD. So the implant IUD, I will call it LARC, L-A-R-C. So um, of all these methods, L-A-R-C methods contain two things. They, they are called a long, they are called a long, reversible contraceptive. They are they include the IUDs and the implants. Now the IUDs will RS because it comes in two types. So the IUD can be used by nulliparous and multiparous women. Nulliparous is if you have never had a child before, you can use the IUD. It's very effective for you. And when you stop using it, you can still have a baby. It can also be used by a multipara woman. A woman who has had multiple of children can still use the IUD. So the myth about when you're a nulliparous, you don't use it, that's a lie. It's not true. That's a myth. It is used by both multi-para, meaning they have had more children, and it is used by nulli-para, meaning they have not had a child. So it is used in both uh, group of people. Now, the, this particular IUD, it contains a device that must be monitored. It is a device that must be monitored on a monthly basis by the patients. Every time the patient experiences a regular monthly menstrual or bleeding, they have to monitor to see whether, there is, whether it is in place and how do they do the monitoring. There is a small string, like a piece of rope, a piece of string that, that hangs within the back of the vagina that remains there. We have to look at the size, the, the size and the length of this string. This string, every time we have a regular menses, a regular menses, we have to monitor whether the string is still in. If the string is in there, we are good. If it is not there, if it is shorter, if it is disappearing, we have to try and contact the doctor or the or the healthcare provider. Um, it is always in the upper part of the vagina to rule out migration or expulsion of the device. The string that is attached to the IUD that hangs at the back of the vagina.
it is there to detect the migration or the or the, the or the, the, the displacement of the IUD within the uterus. So if it is displaced in the uterus, you wouldn't see that strain. If it is dislodged, you wouldn't see it. Then, then you will get to know that indeed my IUD has a problem. I need to visit my doctor. It has the IUD is 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 good. It has a bad side and it has a good side. This time, let's look at the bad side. It can increase the risk of PID, pelvic inflammatory disease. IUD can increase the risk of uh, P, uh, PID, pelvic inflammatory disease. It can also increase the risk of uterine perforation. It increases the risk of ectopic pregnancy. And it also can be expelled. Now, for the IUD, the patient should report to the doctor if there is any abnormal spotting, bleeding, or there's any abdominal pains, or the few pains with intercourse. If they feel any bowel smell, bad, bad smelling or foul smelling of the vagina, they need to report it because those are signs of problem with the IUD. Um, the IUD one, the bad side, it does not protect against STI. So those are the bad side for the IUD. Now the good side about it is it maintain. It can be in for up to ten years. That's the good side of the IUD. It can be in right after abortion, right after miscarriage. We can put it in right after childbearing or while you are breastfeeding. We can still have it in. It's not a problem. Um, it can be reversed right after you tie of it. When you get tired of using the IUD, you can remove it and you can still have You can still be fertile. It does not interfere with the spontaneity. It is safe for mothers who are breastfeeding. It is 99% effective when it comes to pregnancy prevention. The IUD comes in two types. It has the hormonal IUD and it has the copper IUD. Now, let's look at the, 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 the good side for the hormonal IUD. The good side for the hormonal IUD is um, it decreases menstrual pains and it also decreases heavy bleeding with the hormonal IUD. The good side, the, the bad side for the hormonal IUD is it causes spotting, it causes irregular bleeding, it causes headache, nausea, depression. It causes breast pains. That's the bad side for the hormonal IUD. Now, for the copper, copper is a metal, right? Now, copper is a metal. It's one of those metals we have on the prerogative. It's a metallic element on the prerogative. So, it contains metal, M-E-T-A-L. Now, the copper in there, it has a good and bad side. For the good side for the copper IUD, there is no hormones needed. So it is safe for individuals who have hypersensitivity uh, to hormones. So they can use it, it does not contain hormones for the copper IUD. That's the good side about it. So um, for the bad side for the copper IUD, it also increases the risk of increased menstrual pain and increased blood flow. It is best used by women who are monogamous meaning they have one partner and it does because there's a risk of STI. It can cause irregular bleeding. It can cause bacterial vaginosis. It can cause, now, I'm sorry. If you have bacterial vaginosis, if you have uterine perforation, if you have uterine expulsion, you cannot take the IUD. Must be removed in the event of pregnancy. If you got pregnant, why you had a baby problem happening, you got pregnant, you should remove it immediately. That's what happening. It cannot be inserted if the patient has an active pelvic inflammatory disease condition, pelvic infection, uterine bleeding, severe uterine distortion. If it is in the, if the patient has Wilson disease, Wilson's disease, or copper allergy, they cannot use this copper IUD. Then we have um, the last three include the transcervical sterilization. We have the bilateral tubal ligation and we have vasectomy. Let's look at the first one, which is the transcervical sterilization. In the transcervical sterilization, which is also another form of contraception, we insert a flexible small agent through the vagina and the cervix into the fallopian tube. 
So we insert something into the vagina, passes through the surface and enters into the fallopian tube to block the way. Now, um, this goes in there, it will develop a sore. A sore is developed and the sore will get healed and there will be a scar tissue left within the fallopian tube. This or these scar tissues will be in there to block the fallopian tube because the tissue will grow. The scar will grow. When the scar grows, it's going to create a blockade in the fallopian tube that will prevent sperm cells from going in to create implantation or to, for there to be con conception. Now, um, so after the, after the procedure is done, we go back after three months to examine the growth or the level at which the scar has grown to create the blockade along the fallopian tube. If it is well developed, then meaning our image, our, our intention has been accomplished. If it is not developed, then we have to go back and revisit the procedure because our image to create scar tissue along the fallopian tube that will prevent uh, implantation or that will prevent crushing or sperm cells. Um, that's what happened in there. Now, then we have the last two, which include the two surgical methods. We have the first surgical method is the female sterilization, which is called bilateral tubal ligation. It's done for only females. And the one we call male sterilization, which is also called vasectomy, is done for only men. Let's start with the, let's start, let's start with the female. In the female, we have what we call female sterilization or bilateral tubal ligation. It is a surgical procedure consisting of severance severance burning meaning we carry on several burning or blocking of the tube to prevent fertilization so we either burn or we block or we can burn at the same time we block the fallopian tube to prevent fertilization because fertilization occurs in the fallopian tube so if we burn it out or we cut it out there is no fertilization occurring and once there is no fertilization occurring within the female or over this cycle, there will be no pregnancy. So the procedure will involve cutting, burning, or blocking the fallopian tubes to prevent the ovum, that is the egg cells, from being fertilized by the male sperm cells. Um, this can be done right after childbirth within the first 24 or 48 hours after childbirth. That is this, this uh, surgical method, which is the bilateral tubal ligation. Um, it does not affect sexual function. After the procedure, um, the person might have risks for infection, hemorrhage, or trauma. It does not protect against STI. Those are the bad side or the disadvantages for the procedure. For the male type, it's called the male vasectomy. It is also a surgical procedure consisting of ligation and severance of the vas deferens. So we go in and cut the vas deferens the vas deferens is the tube that connects the testes to the urethra through which you will have sperm cell or segment being transmitted or being transported from the testes to the outside of the penis, through the penis shaft. So when we cut that particular tubing, which is called a vas deferens, there will be no transportation of sperm cell or segment from the testes to the outside to be deposited within the vagina. That's what happened in there. In this situation, we cut the vas deferens in the male as a form of permanent sterilization. We reinforce the need for alternate form of breath control for up to 20 ejaculations. So after we cut the vas deferens, the male will still be capable of pregnancy another person because along the line, along the tube, there will be segments that have settled along those two tubes. These segments that have settled along the two tubes, they must be expelled. And it takes up to 20 ejaculations or 20 sexual intercourse and you ejaculate 20 times to clear the pathway to make it free of sperm cells. Um, after the process, Sometimes, if the, if, if the male does not go through tonal ejaculation, it takes the male sometimes one week up to several months 
to allow the sperms to clear off the pathway of the vas deferens. After this process, it ensures that the male will have infertility. The male cannot pregnant a female because there is no connection between the testes and that of the urethra. So sperm cells are not being produced to be transferred to the to the uh, urethra to be put into the vagina to create fertilization. For this for this procedure, it is done. We have to give scrotal support and uh, because there will be pains for the first couple of days, there will be discomfort. They got to wear brief or underwear that will support the scrotum. Um, after the procedure, the male is not sterilized, meaning the male is not infertile. It takes up to 20 ejaculations before they can be pronounced as infertile male. Um, they'll have to use other breath control for up to the time that there will be a none that indeed the vial difference is clear of sperm cells. They can now have sex without protection and they're not going to pregnant anyone. It takes up to 20 ejaculation. They will do a follow-up to do a sperm count before they are diagnosed as free, or before they are pronounced as free of, or, or, or before the, the, the procedure can be effective. It is a permanent contraceptive method. It is permanent when it is done, it is permanent. The procedure is a short procedure. It's very safe and simple. It does not impede sexual function. It requires surgery. It's the biasai. Um, let's take for instance, the male did the procedure after some years and the male wants to have child. Is the procedure reversible? Yes, it is reversible. But when it is reversed, it is not always successful. They might go back, they will reconnect the vast difference, but sometimes the male might not still give birth because sometimes it might not be it may not be successful. It does not protect against STI. It has a very few complications like bleeding and infection. Sometimes the patient can have some anesthetic agent reaction. That's why we know about this procedure complication. It is very safe. Any question on this procedure? We have to read this procedure in our book, look at them, and make sure we are on the good side for them. Thank you very much. Have a blessed day.